Hello and welcome to Cody and Corbin have a podcast, the show where two former roommates talk about Snowpiercer. From Bong Joon-ho starring Chris Evans, Tilda Hinton, uh, John Hurt, Ed Helms, a various cast of characters. Really excited to talk about this one today. I'm your host Corbin Zavokal and joining me of course is my co-host, a man who would definitely cut off his own arm before eating a baby. Cody Webb. Cody, what's going on, man? <laughs> Great intro again. It's a compliment. Yeah, that is a compliment. Uh, you're saying I'm a good guy, so I appreciate that. Um, hopefully, I don't turn out to be a really bad guy in the end, like that character specifically. But yeah, I'm jacked to be here, man. Uh, I think it's going to be a fun episode. Uh, a little bit more of a breakdown, I think, is incoming a little bit, which, which is always fun. But yeah, I'm jacked to be here. Yeah. Great pick from you. I got to say at the top of the episode... Follow us on Spotify, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, at Cat Podcast. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can uh, like this video. Just you know, show your support, whatever way, however you're consuming this. Definitely uh, show us a little bit of support. We love, we appreciate you guys. We, we'd love the appreciation as well. Oh, yeah. If you're a true capper, you know, just start liking everything and uh, we'll like you even more. So, yeah, love that. Cody, this was your pick today. So was, why yeah. did you pick it? Why, 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 why so serious? Yeah, you know, I don't know. There's no real good reason, I think, for this pick. Honestly, it's just uh, a movie that I really enjoy. And uh, I hadn't seen it for a while. So I kind of just wanted to revisit it. Also, too, I mean, it's kind of topical from a cap standpoint. Because we just did a movie, uh, Indy <laughs> 4, with William Hurt, who's a carryover. <laughs> so seeing Indy 4 kind of reminded me of this movie a little bit. Um, and then also, too, I mean... We'll, we'll get into, I'm sure, a little bit more. Isn't his um, name John Hurt? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever the old name. <laughs> I was going to ask you, though, Cody, if you were a big John Hurt fan, if that's what this was all about. Yeah. You loved this performance in Crystal Skull and you needed to mm-hmm. continue it on with Snowpiercer. I mean, he's just really, really bad, or his character's really bad, I guess, in Crystal Skull. And his character, it, a lot more depth, I think, to work with in this film, at least. So he's got that going for him. I think he's a good actor, honestly. But uh, we can definitely get into that more. Also, I mean, this is kind of topical because, um, you know, Wonka is coming out later this year and, you know, possibly this movie has some connections to it. So it's kind of relevant from that standpoint, too. Yeah. Great segue (laughs) uh, into the Wonka trailer. Let's just talk about that, Cody. It was released today. Mm -hmm. I know the people are just clamoring clamoring to hear our thoughts. Is this going to be... a premiere opening night release watch for you, Cody, or what? Are you into Wonka like that? <laughs> um, you know, I enjoyed the trailer. Um, it's kind of what I expected. I mean, it seems like it's going to be like this whimsical kind of happy-go-lucky musical in a sense. Uh, and I like Timothy Chalamet. So I don't know if I'll be there opening night, but I think this movie's on my radar for sure. I- I'll catch it in theaters. Yeah. Where it does have a... It has an interesting cast. Yeah. I do have to let the people know it is on my fantasy team. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a little biased. So, yeah, definitely go <laughs> see it. It looks fantastic. Uh, not at all confused by the uh, accent that Timothy Chalamet is doing. Not concerned yeah. about the um, Hugh Grant, Oompa Loompa situation, whatever's going on there. I mean, That's no, so nothing to be worried about. I'm really excited to see how Willie became Wonka, Cody. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> That's some deep stuff. But uh, I think in this movie, we already saw how it happened. So I don't, I don't know if we really need it. So That's a great point. Let's talk, do you remember? Do you remember? Because the first time we watched this movie, this is another one, Cody, a, ca- a cl- cap classic that we yeah. watched together for the first time back in our 
hilltop apartments, sophomore year, your junior year. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you remember about that experience? And then what do you remember about your Wonka investigations preceding watching it? <laughs> Great question. And that, that honestly was another reason that I kind of want to do this on the pod, just revisiting. Because um, we this is the first time that I'd seen the film, obviously, both of us. So I think that's cool, just from a cat perspective. And then I, I believe we, was this the night where we did a double feature of Mad Max Fury Road? Or did we just watch that at a later time? It was like around the same, it may have been the same night, but it was like within the week at the very <laughs> least, because they were both uh, both very impactful. And, and that was also a consideration to do on this episode, right? You wanted to yeah. either do Mad Max or Snowpiercer. 100%, both good films, honestly. So it's kind of crazy that we, we kind of watched them a little bit back to back, you know, around the same time. So that's cool. But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, too, I feel like when you watch this movie for the first time, you wouldn't really put together at all that Willy Wonka has anything to do with it. Uh, But the more kind of you dig deeper into it, you're kind of like, oh, wow, I, I, you know, everything here kind of does make sense on paper. Uh, You know, you got W sticking out everywhere. You got Ed Harris. I mean, he kind of looks like Charlie, I guess, a little bit. And also, I like Ed Helms. This officially begins the Ed Harris being called Ed Helms counter for this episode of Cap. Every time either Cody or I says Ed Helms instead of Ed Harris, you'll be treated to a wonderful clip of Andy Bernard. Follow along to see who says Ed Helms more. I graduated from anger management the same way I graduated from Cornell. On time. Now I'm back. (laughs) There's a lot uh, going on if kind of this is Charlie kind of running the train. I don't really buy it, but I think it's an awesome fan fury and uh, maybe the best fan theory of all time, honestly. So shout out to it. Yeah, I think we've discussed it maybe in an early cap chat episode or something. We've talked about this a little bit, but you can go on YouTube. There's multiple video essays about like how this movie is essentially a, a sequel to Willy Wonka and Ed Helms. Is- Oompa Loompa Doompa Dee Dawson. Dwight is now gone, which is totally awesome. Why was he gone? He was such a nice guy. No, he was not. He was a total douche. Doompa dee doom. Playing a young Charlie or an older Charlie Bucket. And they're really like well done, said. too. Like, and, yeah, really impressive. Yeah. I've got yeah. this Rhino Stew one up, which I mean, the guy only has 142,000 subscribers, but this is a 13 million viewed video. Wow. Um, why Snowpiercer is a sequel to Willy Wonka. It's, it's really well done. There's a ton of connections. I mean, there's stuff with the class, the fact that. He's an inventor building the machines, this obsession with trains. He's even like the workers he uses have to be like smaller within like all the little, you know, when the parts break, he has to take children because, you know, maybe he would have used Oompa Loompas early on and, and stuff like that. Yeah, a lot of wild connections. Making weird food out of other substances, you know, the protein yeah. bars and such. Honestly, like it's one of those things where it's like the more you think about it, the more it makes sense, which is even scarier. So I'm sure some, at some point somebody has asked like Bong Joon-ho or, or some of the writers about possible connections. I would guess that um, they had no inspiration at all <laughs> from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. But, um, you know, it's always there in the background. It's maybe It was maybe like a subconscious thing that they didn't even realize. It's the beauty of film. You can draw connections uh, across the arts, you know, of decades of, of film history. It's a beautiful, you know, blending of themes and ideas and imagery and uh, yeah, I think this movie's really great. So let's keep talking about it in initial thoughts. Good morning, Vietnam! Cody, I'll throw it over to you, man. What In rewatching this movie, what'd you think? Yeah, initial thoughts. Um, 
you know, just right off the bat of this film, I think there's a couple things that stood out for me. Uh, the first thing, it, it might have been one of the first things that flashed on the screen, actually. Uh, and it was like, oh, produced by the Weinstein Company. So I think that's that's always a tough start to a film. Um, obviously, back in the day, uh, nobody really knew. Well, they did know. It just wasn't publicly known, I guess, what was kind of going on there. So definitely tough in hindsight. And then secondly, too, kind of just with the opening credits as well. I mean, there's there's a bunch of studios who kind of had a hand in this film who I have absolutely no idea who they are. So shout out to them, honestly, because I love this movie and it probably could not have been made without all of these you know, studios coming together a little bit. So I think that's a cool story, but they all kind of have like weird logos where you're not sure if like the movie's starting yet or it's just like this cool studio. So I thought that was funny. But yeah, like I said off the top, I mean, this is a movie that I do enjoy a lot. I am going to be pretty high on it. I think overall, I think Bong Joon-ho is, I don't know if you can even consider him underrated at this point. Obviously, he had a decent amount of success at the Academy Awards, um, you know, in recent years, but He's made a bunch of stuff down the line. I'm not an expert on his filmography. I believe I've seen three of his flicks. And um, personally, I think, and I'm probably in the minority here, but I think this is probably my favorite film of his. Um, just, it's kind of nonstop action. The cast is amazing. Uh, the script is like really deep and really dark at the same time. And kind of just thought provoking, really, really uh, just a well-rounded film i think and interesting characters and a fun premise so i'm gonna be high on it i'll throw over to you because i think i'm just gonna be raving about about this movie mostly today so if you're not gonna you know enjoy that might not be the podcast for you but yeah i do like this film a lot i really have a lot of positive things to say as well you bring up all the logos which is a great point and it's kind of a showing of like this was a truly international production. Obviously, it's a South Korean filmmaker, but if you've got American actors and British actors and you know people from all over the world coming together, different movie studios, I think it was in collaboration with like a Czech company as well. The Weinstein company comes in. Obviously, that's a bad look in its name, but in a positive light at the very least, they were able to distribute this film to a greater group of people. It's a smaller South Korean Czech production that you know didn't get a wide release in the U.S. without the Weinstein Company. It really sucks that they were like the big gatekeeper to get content and you know film works and TV works out to the people for so many years and I'm really glad that that's obviously toppled and fallen but I'm just thankful that this movie was you know seen by so many people. I'm going to get into the ugly a little bit more about how the Weinstein Company even tried to maybe meddle in the cut of this film, things they wanted to change. And luckily that didn't uh, really happen as much because of uh, some Bong Joon-ho uh, wherewithal and some good test screenings. <laughs> Production design is fantastic. Incredible world building throughout. Um, and it really just examines a lot of ideas that interest me personally. And also I just think are really important and that like, they're the, it shows the way that film can share an important message about society and culture and social class. Um, it's a lot of these same ideas that he explores in a movie like Parasite and also in a movie like Okja that he makes after this. Um, I think Parasite was more successful because it's less of this allegorical, fantastical world that we see in Snowpiercer and it's a lot more grounded. And while it still has a third act that is surprising and intense and there's some weird things that happen in that movie, it still is a little bit more palatable in the way that it examines the issues whereas this one is is pretty out there and weird and strange 
Um, it's what a part of what I love about it, but I, I can understand why it may not be as widely accepted. And honestly, that I mean, that's pretty much the reason why I think this is his favorite film of mine, just because it's got a little bit of that, you know, sci-fi gobbledygook. Like that's kind of my genre. So I think you are right. I mean, Parasite is is the more I think you know well-made, you know, class society sort of uh, you know piece on that, whatever the word is, but. Um, I think this has that same introspective, but just takes it in a completely different world in a sense, which is really cool. Even though this is like a post-apocalyptic, you know, train that is the last, you know, sense of humanity, it still is humanity at its core. And I think that's really what it's showing. Obviously with Parasite, it's it's more like, oh, this is what the world is today in the modern age. So I, I think it is similar. And I do like that he, he kind of does have similar themes like throughout his movies. Obviously, this is something that, he's really passionate about but i think in in kind of this scope and this story he's really to he's able to kind of tell it in a different way and i think that is really cool this isn't a trick question so i i don't want you to like galaxy brain or anything but like what would you imagine the budget of this film to be oh i would assume it was pretty low i mean it's it's basically i mean it's not one location in, in a sense obviously it is um i'd guess like 25 mil 30 mil it's a 40 million dollar movie which is like one of the most expensive South Korean movies ever made. Yeah, that makes sense. But like, I think of like big blockbusters that we've seen in the last couple of years that have really ballooned in budgets. And obviously like COVID stuff has played a huge role in that. But like when I hear like, oh, this Fast X movie cost $300 million. This Indiana Jones movie cost $325 million and blah, blah, blah. So on and so forth. Like this movie looks costs $40 million and like it is all on the screen. It is all effectively used so well and so particularly and like it looks, it's just so well done and it's incredibly impressive. And we'll talk about some CGI stuff that maybe isn't like perfect, but like it's still just this incredibly well executed and done at a lower level of a budget. And it's still like, to me, feels like a big blockbuster. It does have that feeling. I mean, this is a... A fairly like action-packed movie i feel like the pacing i, I think is strong it does uh, definitely slow down at points and i think probably the lower For good budget. reason yeah too. And it's it's mostly just like fleshing out characters which is obviously you know i'm a big fan of that i mean yeah budget wise like you said i mean that that's shoestring i feel like especially for that time for a movie like this with and it has a good cast as well so i'd assume some of that just went to you know paying these actors a little bit because it's kind of a, a stellar cast all around, but yeah, man, I don't know. I feel like movies, uh, like you said, these days, uh, just kind of insane budgets. They usually go over and then you got to double it for all the marketing crap as well. So I feel like you don't find gems like this much anymore. That is probably just a testament a little bit to, uh, to Bong Joon-ho kind of holding down the ship altogether on this one, I think. But I would assume as well, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't think it would make too much money, um, at least domestically. I would guess overseas it probably did a lot better but i feel like it, it probably bombed if i'm being honest like what it, the, did america like swarm out to see this movie i would guess definitely not the movie made 86 million dollars worldwide nice. 4.5 of that was in america 4.5 brutal america i'll tell you what we i think we have the worst audiences i'm calling out america right now on the podcast um like just see good movies i, I don't understand because you go in and watch Fast and Furious 10 times. You just, you know, pushing Hollywood in the wrong direction. Obviously, I didn't see this movie in theaters either. The so. widest, I mean, we were, I mean, we were 14. It was right at our movie. The widest <laughs> release this movie ever had was 356 theaters, which is right. like 
right? Like a a blockbuster in America today can open to 3,000 theaters. Like, yeah, it was a limited release for sure. That's why I'm calling it America, but I still don't care if it's a limited release. Go see this movie. Yeah, go check it out. Uh, check out Paramount Plus to watch Snowpiercer. Sure. The last thing I wanted to talk about in initial thoughts, Cody. Mm-hmm. The ending of this movie is kind of like the ending of Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> and I just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> the architect scene is honestly very shocking. It's something I hadn't really realized. Obviously, we just did our whole Spider-Verse episode where we compared it to various films. But I tell you what, the you know, these revolutions have to happen to reset and you know control the population. There's there's a lot of very similar uh, ideas coming along there as well. Yeah, true. The architect and, and uh, Ed Helms are... Applicant is attempting to blackmail interviewer showing low moral character. Interviewer is threatening applicant with an arbitrary review process. Applicant is wasting everyone's time with stupid and inane accusations. Interviewer has suspect motives. Applicant has a head shaped like a trapezoid. Probably boys uh, off to the side, but... Uh... Yeah, good point. Um, I really, really dislike that ending as well in the Matrix Re- uh, Revolution. I mean, uh, the Matrix Reloaded. Honestly, in kind of, I mean, my thoughts on the movie in general, probably my least favorite part is the ending, which I'll definitely explain why. But maybe it's just because it's it's similar to the Matrix Reloaded. It, it all makes sense now. <laughs> Let's talk about the trailer, Cody. Trailer talk. This chaos. A thousand people in an iron box. 18 years I've hated the train. 18 years I've waited for this moment. This is your world. The train saved humanity. The engine lasts forever. The population must always be kept in balance. I said sit down. Passengers, eternal order flows from the sacred engine. We must occupy our preordained position. I belong to the front. You belong to the tail. Know your place. Keep your place. Those bastards in the front think they own us. We'll be different when we get there. What do you say? We take the engine. And we control the world. When is the time? Soon. of you shall die. What'd you think about this one? I thought it was good. A couple notable things. I mean, off the top, I feel like in the first like minute to 30 seconds here, we get a little bit of Ed Harris voiceover, which I think is is kind of spoilerish. I don't know. It's probably just because I recognize his voice, but obviously the the common public probably wouldn't be like, oh, I didn't know Ed Harris was in this movie. I wonder who he plays. But that's kind of weird, I thought, just to include that. Past that, I thought it was a good trailer. I mean, it, it spotlights, obviously, Chris, uh, Chris Evans as as Curtis and then 
it gives Tilda Swinton, you know, a couple of her speeches as well. I thought it was good kind of at least hitting on, you know, the main characters, showing you who's going to be kind of in the spotlight. And uh, it didn't really give away too much. Uh, it did kind of splice together some scenes, but it seems like in the trailer, this is mostly the beginning of the movie. So I thought that was done well, too, because in a movie like this, I feel like you could give away everything super easily, especially with such a limited release, like you said, as well, and just try and get people to show up. So I commend them for kind of not giving everything away as well. I think it's a pretty solid trailer. I think it's probably like more action-y than the movie actually is at certain points. It's very focused on that. I thought it was funny is like how often they cut to the outside shots of the train within the trailer. Because when you think about it in the context of the movie, yes, it does it sometimes, but the ratio is much smaller. Whereas in the trailer, it's like, we got to constantly remind you, shit is crazy. They're on a train. And it's like, it shows the same shot of them slamming through the ice multiple times. It's like, they're really trying to up that like danger element of it's like, oh, this is a crazy runaway fast train. When it's like, while that does play a part and that setting is important to the story, it's not necessarily like a heist about the train needing to be stopped or something crazy like that. Yeah, that's a good point. I think they <laughs> they do show that shot like four or five times with just like Chris Evans like yelling something random. <laughs> like fall back or hold on or something like that. So that is funny. Maybe they were just kind of concentrated on uh, kind of the Snowpiercer theme too because – I think that is an interesting title for this movie. Um, like you said, at times you just forget altogether that you're really on a train. Like it is obviously the setting, but it's really not that important. Um, it's kind of just like moving along in the journey is more important. Like, oh, we have to get to the engine room. Like the engine room is just the end result. It's not really you're on a train. It's just more that's where you're trying to get, I feel like. So it is cool. Obviously, it's it's very kind of sociopolitical too, showing, you know, who's in the front, who's in the back. That's kind of on the nose and stuff like that. But this trail overall, I was a fan. So the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm sure we're going to stick with this first one for a while. Let's talk about the good. Um, I just want to shout out real quick that this is based on like a a graphic novel. So in a certain way, I guess this is a comic book adaptation, um, but it's a French adaptation. It's La Tres Trente Piercienne. I don't, I can't speak French. I don't fucking know. That's pretty good. Um, that pretty- or Snowpiercer in English is it's the English title. So that's where that comes from. But um, they've also made, a, of course, a TV show with David Diggs and Jennifer, Jennifer, Jennifer Connolly. Yeah. It's on Max. Uh, have you given that a shot ever, Cody? I've not. I, um, I think it was okay. It was on TNT, obviously, which is not my favorite network. Um, Did it know. get canceled? I don't know. I believe it went two or three seasons, and maybe that was all they needed. But I wouldn't be surprised just because TNT is a pretty bad network, I feel like, and they don't make too much good stuff. So I don't know who would actually watch that, to be fair. In January 2023, it was announced that the fourth season would not air on TNT at all and was in the process of moving elsewhere. So... Interesting. Maybe there's going to be a fourth season. Uh, they've done three. The idea is it is based more on the movie than because they changed some things from the graphic novel. Um, but it's more of like a reboot and it's not 17 years after the train moves. It's like seven years after the train leaves and it's got different characters, obviously. Gotcha. Um, not sure. You know, it's obviously a, a this is a cool concept. So I would understand, you know, in the world of IP, why they would you know readapt 
That's honestly not a terrible idea. I don't think I, I never actually looked into the show or the premise or anything, but making it a bit of a prequel and possibly showing like a revolt, um, you know, a little bit earlier on uh, than, than this film. I think that's not a terrible idea. It, it is a TNT, you know, uh, thing. So probably won't check it out, but maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe pull a you and, and watch the pilot and then not, not watch the rest. Hey, if it does get canceled, we can first Friday five it. Uh, apologies <laughs> for no first Friday five this month, guys. We'll, we'll be back in August. Can I sell you though? We'll, we'll, I promise we'll get to good, bad, the ugly. Can I sell you on the snow piercer Wilford? Sure. <laughs> Sean Bean plays Wilford in the Snow Piercer TV show. Code. I like that more. Honestly, I was trying to brainstorm in the recast uh, if we could replace Ed Helms. Hardcore, parkour! Hardcore, parkour! parkour! I'm right behind you, Andy! Come on! Yeah! That's a good pick. Sean Bean's that guy. Um, you know, he'd probably have to die at the end, but. I think he's a really good actor. Shout out National Treasure. Let's talk about this movie, though. The good stuff about it. Uh, obviously, it is such a great story. It is a good thing to that people would want to adapt. The political, the socioeconomic messaging behind it is something that I really connect to and I appreciate, as well as like the ideas that it explores through climate change. And basically, the entire setup of this movie is the result of climate change that's happening right now and the actions that are being taken against to prevent it and then drastic action that's taken by bureaucrats to try and limit their mistakes that then forces the world into an even worse state through like this permanent ice age um, and like freezing over of the world which then causes them to get on the train so just even that as a premise and a setup I could really appreciate um, and then beyond that just the idea of the train like then being subdivided into these classes of the first class people and the the regular ticket and then the back of the house poor people that they essentially kidnapped and stuck on the train to you know fill it out and create this ecosystem that they've built to be perfectly balanced and in reality balanced on one end for the rich to have everything and to the poor to have nothing and lead everyone to believe that this is the way things have to be and that nobody can come you know there is no equal opportunity for people but then there's also this idea of the the poor, the working class, the people coming together, to, uh, creating a coalition, working together, people from different parts, different races, different ethnicities, all kind of standing up and, and, and taking charge. You know, you see that teamwork of them grabbing the barrels and, and pushing those down together and collecting and coming together and forcing the doors open and making their escape to the greater end of the train. You see people coming together and supporting each other through artistry and you know there's the guy who's like drawing the pictures of the kids and there's just so many cool character moments and things like that and it's really just showing the power of people that come together and when they gather together and they create social change and they you know revolt and at some times when it's necessary like it has a really positive impact it's also really cool to see the the world and the um that he builds that's created by the powerful people the way that they indoctrinate the poor and the way they indoctrinate the lower classes through the use of specific language and speeches, whether it be Tilda Swinton's character, the teachers, even through like this religious cult that they've kind of created and the majesty of the train engine and all that bullshit. Um, and in like these weird hand gestures and I don't know, there's just so much cool world building and messaging that Bong Joon-ho and the other script writer, Kelly Masterson, managed to throw into this just, you know, short little two hour, two hour and six minute runtime. Well said, I, I completely agree. Uh, the first bullet point on my list here was really, really cool world building. So we're on the same page. I mean, kind of just bouncing off what you said, the detail in this film, I think, is uh, next level stuff. Even like that little hand motion that Tilda Swinton does 
And then as well at the end, obviously it's a callback that Ed Harris does it too. I think that's really cool. Like you said, I mean, the whole, uh, school, the whole school scene is, is basically just showing how much of a cult this train has become uh, just worshiping, you know, Wilford uh, pretty much from the day they were born. I think it's really cool too, of just like Chris Evans backstory of, you know, he wasn't on the train his entire life. So he has a completely different perspective than most of these, uh, you know, younger characters, which I think is cool. Um, and his character background is, it's like super dark, but it's really, really interesting. And you really see like where this guy was at and where he's at now. And then just his kind of transition as well with his character development, I think is really well done. Um, some other cool world building stuff I want to throw out there. Uh, the concept that bullets are almost extinct. I love that. I don't it's know. Really, why. I mean, the whole extinct thing, like anytime they say that, this idea of the things can go extinct, that part goes extinct, this food goes extinct. Um, I think that's such a cool, just a little piece of dialogue that sets up everything. And it's also like, obviously this is post-apocalyptic, but at the same time, it feels ultra-realistic. Obviously, like you said off the bat, I mean, they show kind of what happened when we were trying to stop all this global warming stuff from happening. That legitimately could happen today, and I would not be shocked. Um, and literally kind of everything in the world being frozen other than kind of the trains going around at the time, that's kind of realistic, I feel like, which is very scary, obviously. And then also, like I was saying before, just showing humans at their core a little bit. I wouldn't be shocked if this train was a real thing either, which is obviously very scary too, but it's just kind of the world that we live in. So I think that conceptually is like, obviously we're in the post-apocalyptic, but making it as realistic as you think is possible and making all of these characters like just unbelievably human i think all these characters especially obviously in the talent who we get a bunch of development with but they have flaws you know you know where they're coming from you know their motivations i think this is um a very very good script and a very very good cast um some other random uh world burning stuff too just all of the like uh kind of train cars that they go through you mentioned the production design but i love a few of them the aquarium car is so random, but I feel like like all of these that I'll go through are something that would be on this kind of Wilford train and like something he's not preparing, obviously, for the apocalypse. This is like a cool train ride that, you know, he probably just has people hop on and you go on for like a month or something and you got an aquarium car, you have uh, a club, you have pools, you have a sauna. There's so much water in this train, which I think is really ironic, obviously. And then, of course, the classroom. And I, there's even a couple rooms where it's like it's just people getting high or something. So Yeah, just like a drug den after the <laughs> club. <laughs> They're just chilling with Kronos. I mean, so, it's uh, crazy. Wilford back in the day was, uh, you know, doing some some crazy stuff. But I, I think the world building is is really peaking this movie. And uh, just the detail in the screenplay, I think, is immaculate as well. So, yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah, I think the train setting is so cool. Like, not even that it's... <sighs> Cause it doesn't limit itself in being within the train, but it is still this, like this cool odyssey that they have to go on almost throughout each train car. And it's, they're stepping into a new unique world every single time, whether it's like you said, the aquarium or like the weird food processing plant or the sushi and bar area or the, uh, which the, the where the greenhouse, the schoolhouse, the place where people were just like getting their suits tailored and like shopping and hanging out and, um, yeah, I mean, even the steam room where there's the big fight with the like the Russian guy, like 
what the fuck is going on? It's just all very strange, but it's also very intentional. Like these are the things that they would feel would be necessary for the society to keep the rich people happy and moving. And then, you know, the stuff that's needed to pump out food for the poor people in the back. And then of course there's the prison car as well, all the way at the back. So all that stuff is, is just laid out so interestingly. And it's such a cool journey that they take on throughout. Yeah. For such like a close, you know, location, you would think, it is like unbelievably creative just going scene to scene. So I think that's really cool. Um, a couple other things too. I mean, uh, I'll just run through kind of uh, some of the acting performances here. Like I was saying too, Chris Evans, I think he is good. I don't think he's the strong point of this film by any means, but his When he character... doesn't speak, it's yeah. really, really good. When he Weird, talks, it's like, and I don't even mean this, like Chris Evans, he's got a great face. He's a great physical actor. There's a reason he's Captain America. The reason he's a superhero. I just think like some of the things he's asked to do at certain points in this maybe aren't as successful. Some of his line deliveries, it's like, oh boy. But overall, I think this is, it's great that he's in this and I wouldn't want to change it. Yeah, fair enough. I think we could definitely recast him, uh, which we'll get to. But um, I like his character development a ton, like I was saying. Um, literally, as, as we, and spoiler alert, obviously, I think going forward, because we're going to really get into the, the meat and, and potatoes of this here. But I mean, by the time we get to the end and he's about to get, you know, talk with that one-on-one with, with Wilford. I mean, all his friends are dead. Like <laughs> this guy has gone through the ringer. Pretty much everyone he has ever loved or cared about in this world is, it's pretty much gone. And uh, he's finally coming to face like, you know, this guy who he's been working towards his entire life. So I really like that scene uh, between him and uh, what's the actor's name? Cause I don't want to get it wrong. Sun King Ho. Sun King Ho. Yeah. We haven't mentioned him yet. He's great and everything, obviously. Um, I think a little underutilized uh, in this film particularly, but um, he's still good. And I really like their conversation at the end. Past that too, um, I want to highlight Tilda Swinton a lot because uh, I think she's ridiculously good in this film. I don't believe she was nominated uh, for an Oscar for, for this film. That's an abomination in my opinion. And um, just every speech that she has, she has a weird accent. Like I'll give it that. But I think her performance is by far the best in this film. My favorite uh, speech of hers, and she just like gives random speeches at all times. So if you don't like that, you may not like her. She's always pontificating for some reason or another. Oh, she's very quotable too. During the night vision scene, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more, her like speech during that entire point, I think is really, really fun. Like she, she really just goes for it as just like this really hateful person. And then when she ends up getting captured, She's, she like turns on a dime. So I think in a sense, she is, you know, representing the worst of humans, you know, all talk, no bite, and then willing to flip on anybody at any time. I think it, it's, you know, just beautiful imagery there. And also one other performance I want to shout out. Octavia Spencer, man, she kicks some ass in this movie. I don't think I've ever seen her like in a similar role to this where she is kind of in the forefront of the action. But I'm telling you what, I thought she was awesome. Um, all the side characters too. There's the random uh jujitsu guy who is just an absolute badass and whenever they well, well my favorite scene with him is when they end up you know everyone just trying to take out this big guy That's and this gray, guy i believe you're referencing this is yeah, yeah. and this guy just comes running down the barrels <laughs> and just does like three spins and takes him out yeah. Uh, yeah fun action there but i think uh the cast as a whole is is really well put together you are forgetting about Octavia's 2019 hit film, uh, Ma. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is that an action movie? I mean, not really. I think she is quite active in the film, but yeah, I she, haven't seen she it. She does punch some people, to be fair. 
One of my favorite action set pieces in this movie is, of course, the movie's take on a hallway fight scene. Obviously, this is a train, so it's kind of constantly a hallway. There's, you know, various iterations on that idea throughout. But the main one, the one featured in my background, um, I think is incredibly impressive. Obviously, we've seen similar hallway fights in, in media. And obviously, one of the most famous ones is, comes from this movie's producer, Park Chan-wook, in the film Old Boy. Um, we even got one in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, to a Beastie Boys song uh, earlier this year. So it's constantly being done, but I think this one's super sick. Chris Evans is a fantastic physical actor. You know, he, it's just like this full out war between the two sides. They've got the fucking axes. And then there's kind of the break, which then turns into the nighttime version of the fight, which is even cooler. And they bring the fire. And I love the imagery of the kid carrying the torch all the way down the train and then getting like passed off like the Olympic torch. And that's just another super sick symbol. I mean, the, the, the way these characters are dressed and presented and the all leather with the, the hatchets and the bloody, you know, fish that's you can see on the back um, ski mask is, is so sick in particular. And I don't know. I just I love this set piece as a whole. I agree completely. I believe his name is Chen or Chan running with the fire. Uh, one of my favorite moments by far. Like you said, it's it's uh, tonally, I think, um, pretty interesting, too, because obviously they're all just like standing there and then these guys pull out a dead fish and <laughs> start rubbing their axes on it. I mean, it's pretty intimidating. So I, I get why they did it, I guess. But kind of interesting that that's kind of the first thing they thought of before going into a, a fight for the world, basically. Um, I think it's really cool in that scene, too. Obviously, the action is great. But in that scene as well, where they're kind of celebrating the new year. And it's kind of like those old stories I feel like you'd hear about war and, and like World War One or World War II or whatever, where it was like Christmas and everybody stopped and, you know, just played like a game of soccer or something. And you kind of have a tiny moment of that here where everyone, you know, is like, Happy New Year, <laughs> just like in the middle of this, like just complete massive battle with bodies everywhere. So I think there's like cool human moments still even in that. But um, it is gruesome. It is dark. And um it's pretty good action. So yeah, th that's a standout scene, I think for sure. I love that one. I agree with you. I, I love Tilda Swinton's performance. We've talked about Chris Evans. I want to give a shout out to uh, Goa Sung, who's the girl, and mm -hmm. she's the daughter of Sung Kang Ho's character. She's also the same little girl from Bong Joon-ho's movie, The Host. She's the lead in that. That's when they first like got working together. And it's cool that he brought her back to be in this movie and again, kind of play the daughter of Sung Kang-ho's character. And I think she's really good in this. Um, I think her moments with Chris Evans are particularly really interesting. And it's also cool because her character had, kind of has like these clairvoyant mystical powers too, which is kind of just an interesting like science fiction, the world is changing thing that's thrown in there as well. I feel like it is kind of uh, the most mystical thing about this movie. And it's honestly not, it's not touched on a ton. It's kind of just like, she knows if there's people, <laughs> you know, on the other side of the door, which can be helpful. But uh, I did like her character a lot. Her interactions with Chris Evans, I think, um, was pretty much all she was given to do, unfortunately. But their conversations were pretty, pretty interesting. So I was a fan of her as well. I say we just kind of throw it to the end here as well, because I do want to hear your thoughts on, um, the Ed Harris scene as a whole. I think Ed Harris is pretty good in this film. I mean, it, he's doing a lot of acting, to be fair. But I feel like, in a sense, it is kind of like Matt Damon in Inter Interstellar. Um, but you know it's coming the entire time, obviously. It's not kind of this complete shock of, what's this guy doing here? You know somebody's going to be at the front of the train who uh, has a little bit of acting chops, I would think. So when Ed Harris showed up, I wasn't shocked the first time. But 
his conversation with Chris Evans, I think, is very interesting because obviously it's it's the reveal that uh, old man hurt, whatever his first name is, was kind of a part of, like you said, you know, controlling this ecosystem the entire time. And um, him and Wilford and the old man were, were best buds and they were chatting up on the phone every night. And um, it kind of shatters Chris Evans world even more, even after he's had kind of all of his friends killed. So I think I think it was well done. I think um, you could have gone a lot of different directions with it and you could have cast anybody else other than Ned Harris, I think, too. And they would have done an all right job. But I thought it was a cool conversation and it kind of pissed me off that it took Chris Evans that long to like deck this guy in the face. But at the same time, like his perspective of just being like, I've worked my entire life to get here. I kind of want to hear what this guy has to say. I think it's cool. What what do you think about, I guess, the ending scene a little bit? It's really hard to do, right? It's hard to do an ending. It's hard to build, especially in this movie where it's like, it's all about the journey to the end. Like there's gotta be someone on the end. It's gotta be a great performance. I like Ed Helms. I think he does a good job of delivering his lines. Take me home, country road, to the place I belong, West Virginia, mama, take me home. Obviously, if you're listening to this and you didn't see the movie, it's a little bit too late to say, but like on first watch, this is so much better and it is so much more compelling when like that reveal happens and like maybe it's not a crazy surprise like you could kind of see it coming but it's still a lot more powerful and then on rewatch it's just like okay this is ed or ed harris is gonna monologue for a little bit here and then attend the tale of sweeney todd his skin was pale and his eye was odd yes we're gonna get an explosion and the movie's gonna end and it's like when you get to that point you're kind of just like I'm kind of ready for this to be over. And I love this movie and there's so many great things about it. Um, And I think that first watch holds such a special place in my heart. I think it just kills a little bit of rewatchability later. And it just leaves you wanting a lot more at the end of this. There's so much great buildup that I think it's fantastic. It's like the first 90% are a five-star perfect movie to me. I can't really knock the end too much. Fair enough. Also, um, I think Ed Helms would have been better. So shout out to him. You did call him that the first time. Here's a little news flash. It's not funny. In fact, it's pretty freaking unfunny. What do you think about the following line cody and maybe we'll stay in good or we'll jump to bad based on your thoughts <laughs> you know what i hate about myself i know what people taste like i know that babies taste best oh man <laughs> i'll tell you what man like it's a dark line but I mean, I think that's just like uh, Chris Evans' character development. I I really do like his character a lot, but I mean, it, it is tough. Like this guy was eating babies and this is the guy we've been rooting for the entire time. Like, come on, man, that, that is tough. Yeah, it is a really dark reveal, but I think it's extremely effective because it's like it shows the darkness of the world that they were put into and like how yeah. far, like how pushed to the brink they were by this society and, you know, how far he's had to come to get to where he is now. Um, And it also brings in the dynamic of like understanding why he doesn't think 
he's worthy to take on the role of, you know, running the train or being the leader. Why, you know, that explains a lot of that a lot more clearly. I th- I really enjoy that line, even though it is like a tough one to hear. The following line, I think, is when we start to get into the bad and, and Chris Evans goes, probably guessed who the old man was. <laughs> and the baby was Edgar. And I was the man with the knife. It was just like, it's so corny where it's like, uh, Chris Evans, you're not killing that line delivery. I think that's very, and we even talked about um, Edgar at all, which is probably pretty telling. But yeah, that whole um, storyline, I feel like it's just weird. Uh, <laughs> and I'll get into it a little bit later on how it, it kind of makes no sense that he wouldn't know by now. But yeah, I think uh, especially like Chris Evans, like you said, um, like the more he talks, I think the the worse his performance gets. But everything like surface level, I think is really good. But the deeper maybe that it goes into some of those conversations, it's like, well, this wasn't really necessary. And um, I don't know if I really believe you saying this. So I don't know why Edgar had to be the baby either. Like, it's really not an important plot point because the kid's dead like halfway through. So who, who even cares? Continuing on with the bad, I think Edgar's character is not very good. It's kind of weird because he's supposed to be 17 younger, 17 years younger than Chris Evans's character but in real life he's like four years younger and so like that's kind of a confusing it doesn't seem like he would be way young. It, it, it's all just very strangely laid out like you said he gets killed halfway through I, I don't love Jamie Bell's performance I don't know are you a fan of Edgar in this no oh, no definitely not I'd say but I think that's the weakest cast member obviously he just plays his part like he's not in it for that long and he's pretty much just motivation for uh, Chris Evans character so I think he does well in that standpoint, but yeah, I mean, I, I really don't think Jamie Bell is kind of this, this great actor or anything either. Obviously he was in fan which I think derailed his career a little bit. Um, Cause he hasn't been in a ton since, but I thought he was definitely the standout of, of kind of the worst in the cast uh, in, in my opinion. So shout out Jamie smaller, just small stuff too. Uh, why were they uh, shooting out of the windows of uh, the Snowpiercer Corbin. I mean, do they not? The train bent. It was cool, man. <laughs> also, yeah, that's just 16. That's BS timing that uh, that would even line up to happen at that particular moment in a revolution. Um, but that character altogether, too, you called him the Russian. I don't know who the hell he is, but he's literally unkillable. So there must be some sort of supernatural thing going on there that, that it just wasn't really touched on. And he's a complete idiot. He's he's shooting out the windows of the snor- Snowpiercer during an Ice Age. So. Well, there's Franco the Elder and Franco the Younger are their two character names. I think Franco the Elder is the main guy, and he's played by Vlad Ivanov. Yeah, that was, he was the older one. So, uh, yeah, he's definitely Russian, I guess you're right. Romanian. He's Romanian. Sorry. He's Romanian. Okay. Well, shout out Romania. We didn't mean any harm there. But, yeah, I don't really like his character. I think you could just pretty much cut that all out altogether and it'd be the exact same story i mean he's a hateable villain obviously at the beginning he's him and like you said that other guy are are cutting the one guy's arm off so i mean that that's a cool scene and it does set up i think you know the whole class warfare thing pretty well i I could have used without those characters and and been just fine i i agree with you tilda swinton is like your vocal antagonist your your poet (laughs) your your speaker but You've got to have some sort of like action-based force to go up against. And, you know, yeah. that's where big, what's his name? Big Chungus? Is that what you just said? I don't <laughs> we know. can call him that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's where he's got to come in. Big Vlad. The Franco the Elder is, is, is got to be that, you know, Franco force. the Elder. 
There's no way anybody called him Franco the other the entire movie. <laughs> There's no chance because that's such a lame name. A big chungus. We're going with that for the rest of the episode. Something that is also not good that isn't really about this movie, but it's fair to talk about here. Chris Evans' career, Cody. And I mean, I know you will you won't say anything bad about the film because of course it's on your team, but the movie Ghosted was released earlier this year. Uh, and um critical hit. one of the worst things I've watched this year, Cody. <laughs> Legitimately, one of the worst movies I've seen. I'm glad to hear that, honestly. Uh, you know, that's what I was going for with that pick on my team. Got to get a couple stinkers in there to to even it out. But uh yeah, Chris Evans, man, I don't know. I feel like this is probably his I, I I haven't seen all of his work, but from what I've seen, I would say this is up there with his best performance. And for me, this is his best film. Uh, my letterbox review was simply just Pete, Pete Chris Evans movie. Cause like you said, I mean, I feel like it is pretty much all downhill from here after this for him. He's an okay actor, but I genuinely don't think he'll be in anything as good as this for the rest of his career. So it is tough. I saw a quote recently and I don't know like how accurate it was because it was just a, a Twitter, you know, scroll through but it was like robbie Downey jr said he was afraid he wouldn't be able to act anymore after being in marvel for 10 years when he got to the set of oppenheimer and like that's a kind of a silly thing obviously but there's something to be said about like the marvel machine and what it's done to some people's careers and the you know the way it's affected American movie stars and the roles that they would have had. And I think about like Downey and Ruffalo both being in Zodiac in 2008 or 2007, whatever year that movie came out. And then like both getting sucked up into Marvel and then never really doing something as impressive. Obviously we get at least another Ruffalo performance in Spotlight, but like Chris Evans, yes, he did some good work as Captain America. He was fun for a really long time. That's over. And now he's been, Aside from Knives Out, I love Knives Out, but that was like the same year, you know, he's still riding that in-game kick, like that was the same year, and Ryan Johnson threw him a bone, but he's cameoed in Free Guy, uh, and then he was the voice of Buzz Lightyear in Lightyear, which was not a success, he was in The Gray Man, which was not successful, and was a Netflix movie, and then was of course on Ghosted, which was also not successful, and was an Apple Prime movie, so he's not even in theatrically released films, He's in bad movies and he's going to be in a movie called Pain Hustlers coming out later this year from David Yates, who's the Harry Potter director. So I'm hopeful that maybe like there's some potential there. It's also got Emily Blunt, uh, J. Duplass, Catherine O'Hara. There's a potential. I don't know, man. I'm worried about his career. (laughs) He made all the money in the world, so he, he probably doesn't care. But yeah, I mean, it is kind of interesting too that Downey quote of, I mean, and the same thing for Chris Evans, like they were just playing the same character for 10 years and it, they're just like acting like themselves. So can you lose the ability? That is pretty interesting. Also a question for you, which movie do you like more, uh, Knives Out or, or Snowpiercer? Ooh, that is a good question. They're they are honestly both very, very high for me. I, you know, I don't want to spoil the rating too, uh, too soon, but of course we've never rated Knives Out on the show. I will say Knives Out sits at 14 all time. And this movie, at the very least, is lower than that. So I do like Knives Out a little bit more. But I like Chris Evans' performance in this movie. Uh, one other thing I have in the bad that I definitely want to touch on as well here. Um, and it, it kind of does have to do a little bit more with the ending, too. Kind of the very ending, which we haven't really talked about. So obviously we get past, you know, kind of the the big explosion, like you said, destruction of, of the snow piercer. The snow piercer is off the tracks. 
And I think the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, like, it's kind of like a happy, optimistic ending. Like, you know, um, what's her face? And then the little kid come out and they walk around the snow. It's only ankle deep. And it's like, oh, dang, like, you know, the world, it's not complete ice age. Like it is melting a little bit. But when I watch it this time, I was like, there is literally a 0% chance that this girl and this little kid like survive in this environment with no one in the world, maybe some animals and stuff out there. But how are they going to survive, Corbin? They're not going to make it more in a week, I don't think. Yeah, I agree with you. I think they would have to go back to the train. Yeah. I had in my bad the final shot just being like this polar bear that's looking at him. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, it shows there's life out there still, but it's a fucking polar bear. That This is kind of their jam. Like, currently we're melting their ice caps. So they're like, fuck, the whole world's ice? I'm yeah. lit. Like, I don't know. It would make sense that there's polar bears everywhere. That's funny. I didn't think about that. Because I feel like the, what that is trying to do, I feel like it is trying to be optimistic. It's like, right. Oh, there is still life out here. Not everybody. Maybe they'll tame the polar bear. <laughs> yeah but like it's still a negative like the polar bear is probably coming for them as well it's probably um, hungry as fuck what is, what's it been eating nothing now. i don't know what it's eating the whole time probably just fish it's tired of fish i would guess i thought that was funny um on a rewatch i think it did give me a little bit of a different feeling at the end i'm like you know maybe there's optimism for for planet earth but for humans i i think they're screwed so had to throw that in <laughs> i bet that 100 <laughs> um i mentioned it earlier but like some of the cgi stuff doesn't look incredible it's very minimal and it's use the outside landscapes particularly the city when they're like trying to render that covered in snow it doesn't look the best it still has the kind of a stylistic effect that matches the movie but it stands out when everything else is so real and physical um and then the other shot is the bugs in the grinder and like i get they didn't want to like yeah. grind up a real a bunch of live bugs and, and do that i understand it just it stands out as like okay this looks like a video game where the rest of this movie looks so incredible i agree with that too um i mean that shot altogether is uh kind of just unsettling but then the longer you look at it you're like what am i even looking at <laughs> like, <laughs> looks like, i mean this like, is being very nitpicky too it's like we have to be right yeah i mean this is i obviously really like this movie but that shot it, it should be like extremely gross and gory but instead, I feel like it's like, I don't even know what I'm looking at. And it's like, oh, it's supposed to be bugs, I guess. Like It's sure. also strange because like it does the digital zoom, which is like a characteristic use throughout the film, particularly in some action scenes. But like when it does it there, it's like, wow, you're just like really pushing me further into the, the fakeness that you're showing me. Yeah, it kind of it definitely pulls you out, I think, a little bit. But still gross that, um, you know, they're eating bugs the entire time. We haven't talked about that. <laughs> that's pretty messed up man that's a cool reveal but yeah cg's not great i was gonna say i said it earlier but i mean it took him forever to punch ed harris in the face like come on <laughs> just because he's got little kids you know working for him that's the turning point come on chris you, you should have punched him like at least 10 minutes earlier because it's kind of a prolonged scene i think uh, a little bit but yeah I'll, I'll throw it over to you what, what was your last thing sounds like we know what you're gonna pick for a later category coming up a little if ifk yeah. I do not understand the drug chronol. Like, I don't get how it works. Primarily because it seems that they just, like, give it a little sniff. Like, it's kind of like a smelling salt. But then, like, can you not just use it again? <laughs> like, why do they have to get a new piece every time? I'm confused. Like, does it lose? Does each one have a unique genetic makeup that then doesn't get you high? Like, I, I just don't understand the, uh, the like, how do you use it as a drug? It's confusing. How does it run out? I mean, yeah. <laughs> You I mean, he's stocking it. it up, obviously, like for the purposes of making a bomb, which is a cool reveal. 
but in terms of like the actual using of it i don't know yeah evidently it's it's kind of like a wide widely used drug that's kind of how it's at least played i mean he's in jail for it i think like essentially on the print and it's yeah. not really a drug it's like something they use to power the train like it's a piece of combustion i think but yeah. then also like the people in the back have it somehow and are dealing it. like I, I mean it's it's like i think the only drug maybe they have i, I don't know yeah he just like buys it from some random guy round random hobo in a barrel and he seems like he's extremely high as well so i don't really know how it works but um evidently it works so uh shout out to the guy in the barrel too unsung hero i think uh, of the whole, whole whole operation here couldn't have done it without him well, hey, he might be an answer for one of those later categories for me as well, Cody. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Ugly. I said it. Well, you said it first off. The Weinstein Company, right? Yeah. They were not involved in the production of this film, luckily, but they did acquire the distribution rights from CJ Entertainment, which is one of those companies you see flashed in the beginning, just based on the script and some of the footage that they had already shot. And then their plan was to do like a wide North American release. They were supposed to have it in June and then it got like delayed and there was, it was only put in like eight theaters. And a lot of this was because Harvey Weinstein asked for like 25 minutes of the movie to be cut. He wanted less of the dialogue and more action. He didn't care about all the fucking like talking. He just wanted it to be an action film, basically. The fish gutting scene seen behind me specifically was one that he requested be removed. He didn't like it. Um, but <laughs> Bong Joon-ho said that he claimed his father was a fisherman and that it was a tribute to his dad. And that's why he had it in the movie. But in reality, he just really loved this shot. And it was like one of the, his favorite shots in the entire movie. It was something that wasn't even in the script that he just like storyboarded out and thought was a cool visual aspect. Weinstein wanted it out. He made up some BS story about his dad. Weinstein was like, all right, whatever family, keep it in. So he won that battle. But Bong Joon-ho later said in an interview, yeah, I just fucking lied about that. Like that wasn't true at all. Um, and then Weinstein did a screening of like the cut he wanted shown with all that, you know, 25 minutes cut. And then they did other screenings and they just found that the, the real theatrical, the director's cut of the film, the two hour cut that we watched was much better received and was finally, you know, given the chance to be released and seen by everyone, thankfully. Yeah. And I am very glad uh, this is the cut we ended up getting, obviously. Um, Bong Joon-ho, I love that guy. I love how he... <laughs> They're just lying uh, kind of for game against Weinstein, which uh, in hindsight is even better, I think. But yeah, that's just studio. I feel like any any studio today is is going to try and do the similar thing. Be like, Just get to the action. Kind of what are we waiting for? That That's what the people want. So I'm not surprised they tried to chop it up a little bit, but I am very happy that uh, we got the end result that uh, Bong Chu kind of wanted from the get go. So that is cool. At least he, he won out. What else you got for ugly, Cody? Off the bat, I mean, I... It is a question mark still in my head, but does this movie pass the Bechtel test? There are a, uh, a good amount of female characters. I think maybe Tilda Swinton and Alison Pill have a, a tiny conversation, possibly. If it is, it's close, I think. I don't think Octavia Spencer really interacts with anybody else other than like Chris Evans and the old man. Um, but she is great in this. I do love her. But I just thought that was, again, I feel like every movie we break down, even if it does have some female characters, there's not a ton actually, you know, talking to each other about, you know, important stuff. So I, I just think that sucks. 
Um, child labor, not great at all. Never, yep. never a solid thing. But I, I, I think in the context of the film, obviously it's like well-written and well-used and like it's successful in its use. But you know, putting kids inside of a little machine and be like, get to work. <laughs> Buddy, I, need, I need a quote there. I think you just said that uh, child labor was successful in this film. Is that what I heard? That train <laughs> was moving. I'll tell you that. And that kid was mesmerized by the engine. He just went in there. And... These kids are good workers, man. I don't. I don't know how they. Yeah, we're so focused. I need. Need what they were happening, but uh, that was the big thing on my list too. Obviously, uh, just making little kids kind of act as engine parts. Pretty brutal concept. Um, you know, this movie. It's it's fairly dark. Obviously, eating babies you know, putting children uh, uh, to work their entire lives. It's pretty tough, you know, you know, uh, taking them from their parents, then cutting their parents' arm off. A lot of tough stuff here. The only other kind of big ugly thing I had too was uh, the bugs in the protein bars. <laughs> I mean, that is tough as well. I mean, I, I don't really know. You know, there's, there's no way around it. That's just, you know, prime disgusting and uh, pretty, pretty bad stuff. But Obviously, that's just all in the context of the story. I don't think there's really anything too bad other than kind of the Weinstein Association here. Um, just like a dark movie overall. Bugs of the food of the future, Cody. Don't knock it till you try it. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. <laughs> and we're back with Whose Line Is It Anyway? Welcome to Whose Line Is It Anyway? I'll start us off here. My friend, you suffer from the misplaced optimism of the dude. You suffer from the misplaced optimism of the dude. Um, obviously, it's one of the bad guys. There's uh, pretty much just two to choose from here. I'm going to say... I feel like it's not going to be Tilda Swinton because that's not one of the better lines. I'm going to say Ed Harris as, uh, as Wilford. Cody was Tilda Swinton. Which, Tilda Swinton? Can you tell me wow. Tilda Swinton's character's name? <laughs> uh, I don't think I can. No. It's just Tilda Swinton in my book. It's Minister Mason is her name. Hmm. Um, but right before they throw the night vision goggles on and go into the tunnel. That's like one of our lives. Gotcha. That was what I was talking about earlier. So that's funny. I couldn't even quote it. So, <laughs> I thought about saying it, but I was like, no, I'm, I'm saving it. <laughs> Fuck that. Dude. Good usage. I like that. Uh, I'll throw one right back at you here. Bit of an extended uh, quote here. So bear with me. Would you wear a shoe on your head? Of course you're going to wear a shoe on your head. A shoe doesn't belong on your head. A shoe belongs on your foot. A hat belongs on your head. I am a hat. You are a shoe. I belong on the head. You belong in the foot. Yes? So it is. <laughs> so it is. So it is. This is the way, some might say. Uh, that is, of course, Minister Mason herself. The the iconic speech right off the beginning. I think this is the point in the movie when you and I were watching. We were like, what the fuck is happening? Like, what is going on? And uh, we had no idea what we were in for. <laughs> yeah. I think, like you said, the first watch, I think, is 100% the best because there's so much just like shocking stuff and like a speech like this off the bat, just, you know, these people just berating <laughs> the people in the back of the train kind of for no reason, just wild stuff. But yeah, I think uh, Tuttle Swinton, like I said, Oscar worthy in my opinion. So shout out to her. I think um, line delivery here, especially with the dialogue, just speech after speech after speech, I think is, is very, very well done. Next one for you here. What does steak taste like again? I had it once, but I can't remember. <laughs> Dude, I don't think I know this one. I feel like everybody says that. Um, I feel like it's Jamie Bell, but that doesn't make sense. He's too young. 
I think I'm gonna guess him. It's gotta be Jamie Bell, but it is Jamie Bell. Saying? You're right. It's Edgar. It is a little confusing because it's like maybe when they were younger, they got a chance to have steak, but it wouldn't really make. I don't think he had steak. I think yeah, they did crazy. use the thing is like the protein bars is is a thing that is introduced later in their lives, like that hasn't been there since the beginning. So they were getting some sort of food at some point, but it's hard to say. Steak I mean, seems unlikely. He wouldn't have been old enough to remember it anyways. If supposedly he's. He's what, like 17 in this movie? Yeah. Right? He was a yeah. baby getting snacked on almost by Chris Evans. Maybe Chris Evans just told him he had steak before and he was actually talking about babies. So, you know, I got one more quote for you. Uh, it's another barn burner. Not sure if you're going to get it. Uh, I'm surprised it hasn't been brought up. It's one of my favorite scenes. They've got no bullets. Well, is it Chris thing. Evans that says it? Because... He obviously, you know, it's. I love the direction of it. Grabs the gun, points it at his head. You know, the insert shot, pulling the trigger. Yeah. It doesn't go through. I'm gonna say it's him. He turns and yells, "They've got no bullets!" And then like everybody else goes. But it could be John Hurt shouting it out as well. I'm gonna go Chris Evans. Maybe um, old man did shout out after, but uh, it is Chris Evans. Okay, yeah. there's something. They shout something else. There's an additional line, but yeah. Well, Jamie Bell's probably like screaming that too once he. They got no bullets, but uh, yeah, I love that shot too. I mean, just the specific close up, even of the trigger, I think is really cool. And the camera movement of him like moving the gun up to his forehead is is really dope as well. But yeah, crazy action set piece kind of to kick everything off too. But Chris Evans, that's probably his best line in, in my opinion uh, in the entire film. So shout out to him. I like that one. <laughs> I know what baby tastes like. Invite fight night. I dump thee. So, William. I kind of spoiled it a little bit already, but invite. Let's get that Cronal dealer on. It seemed like he really had a lot of thoughts, a lot of things to share. I mean, give him a couple puffs and he'll maybe be seeing through doors or something. I don't know. It's hard to say. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, I'd love to get Bong Joon-ho, the director of this film, on the pot as well. I mean, man's oh, yeah. an icon. Made a lot of great films. Um, I, I got to watch this movie uh, on Blu-ray. Uh, I've got this whole box set of his movies. I think I mentioned it before. It came with these cool postcards as well. So shout out. Here's the Snowpiercer one. Pretty sick little postcard there. But uh, yeah, get Bong Joon-ho on. Maybe, you know, get him in person. Get him to sign this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Bong Joon-ho, great character. I mean, a great uh, candidate, excuse me. Bong Joon-ho, great candidate for uh, Invite and also Night. Uh, I didn't have him in either, but 100% love that guy. Um, and that is a dope uh, kind of a uh, postcard as well. So I love that too. My invite also, and I'd love to see the barrel kid. Um, evidently, he doesn't smell great, so over Zoom, I think would be ideal uh, for that pod. But uh, my pick for invite, it's gonna be old man. And actually, uh, I wrote down his character name, which we haven't said the entire time. I don't think uh, Gilliam, old man Gilliam is his name. I just need his thoughts because I mean, I do always have kind of the idea in the back of my head that maybe Ed Harris is like full of shit, and like it would make sense that there's a phone connecting to them. But I don't think that necessarily proves like they were in this the entire time together. It does make a lot of sense, obviously, of like, oh, preserving this ecosystem. And like he had said before, there were all these past, you know, kind of uh, uprisings that obviously never got that far. And it would make sense that, you know, somebody was on the inside the entire time. Also, just Gillian being kind of a really good guy. Um, Him just turning Chris Evans from a baby eater into a leader is 
it's pretty impressive, I think, from an old man. So shout out to him. He also just cuts off his limbs with with no regard. So good guy overall. I just want to hear his thoughts pretty much and uh, see if he's kind of an asshole or not. I think that's my big question. Yeah, it actually is a really interesting thing because it's like it's entirely possible that Ed Helms is lying Helms. to fuck me. Hey, guys. Guess who's back? It is entirely possible that Ed Harris is in fact lying to Chris Evans in that moment. You know, he says yeah. to him, you're the first person that's walked the entire length of the train. And that's just kind of bullshit. That doesn't make any sense. First yeah. of all, the kids that are literally up there in the front of the train doing the labor have walked the entire length of the train until the Swinton's character's been all over. They're telling me Ed Harris hasn't. Like, I don't, I don't know. I feel like he's kind of being very specific with the things he's saying to uh, Chris Evans in that moment to where it's like, not all of this is true. You know, maybe he's lying about the guilt thing. He does seem like a great guy. I don't know. I mean, he had a lot of time for, to prepare as well. I mean, Chris Evans was sitting outside his door for about, I would guess, at least a couple hours. So he had a lot of brainstorming time, I think, of what exactly to say to this kid. So who knows? But uh, old man Gilliam would, would be able to tell us for sure. And I'm sure he's got a lot of crazy stories as well. So <laughs> I want to invite him. Fight, Cody. Who do you want to fight? You know, I foreshadowed earlier that. I wanted to take out Ed Helms. Uh, Ed but, Helms. Uh, <laughs> shout out, shout out to you. You, me, bar, beers, buzzed, wings, shots, drunk, waitresses, hot, football, Cornell Hofstra, slaughter. Then quick nap at my place, and we hit the tin sound. No, but uh, I'm actually gonna go with uh, Chris Evans' character here, and uh, Curtis is his name. First off, I mean he's a real asshole for not telling Edgar ever that he killed his mother. I mean, that's something at some point you should probably tell. Like, you know, I feel like they're close. They're close friends here. I would only, like brothers. I mean, yeah, I would go as far to say they are best friends um, in this kind of, uh, you know, wherever they found themselves, I guess, in the back of the train. But um, I mean, that's tough off the bat. But thinking about it a little bit more, too, I was like, how did that not get out that he was the one who killed him? Like, like it's chaos in the back. You're telling me that nobody would tell Edgar to be like, Hey, your boy killed your mother. Like you don't know that. So I feel like Chris Evans had to go to some like real lengths to keep that deep, dark secret where it's at. He probably took a couple more bodies out, honestly, if I'm being honest, <laughs> to hold that secret. So I think he deserves to get decked uh, j just for that alone. I respect that pick as well. Ed Harris is the obvious choice. You know, he, he got a punch thrown already. So I guess Chris <laughs> Evans handled it. Um, Tilda Swinton, hey, she's pretty bad too. I probably would, you know, I don't want to necessarily fight her, but let's, let's kick her off the train or something. <laughs> Throw her out the, uh, the back. Yeah, I think that's well-deserved. And the same thing too, I said before, her like switching sides immediately when she she knows she's going to lose. Yeah, true testament to, to that character. But yeah, she deserves at least a shoe to the face, I think. That would be, you know, at least uh, ironic justice. Be very fitting. She does get, I guess, what she deserves in the end. But. Yeah, true. Shut up. Knight. I want to knight the man in your picture, Gray. We haven't talked about him a ton. He doesn't really have a lot of dialogue. He's got the memento tattoos that basically <laughs> say, like, surrender or die and all this other crazy <laughs> shit. He's always doing jujitsu, popping up out of nowhere to kill people. I mean, he goes out swinging, protecting Chris Evans. I mean, he's a, he's a real G. I mean, without him, there's no way they would have made it that far. Yeah, he does make the ultimate sacrifice as well. And I mean, every time there's just like a really kind of tough task ahead, this guy just runs to the front and uh, throws and... a knife at somebody or, you know, like he gets yeah, him he out doesn't. of the, the, he kills the school teacher lady. I mean, true. 
nobody likes Allison Pill anyways, but uh, he also <laughs> stuck a knife, I believe, in the back of Tilda Swinton. So shout out to him there. I mean, that that was a long time coming throughout this film, and he got the first kind of uh, smack on that as well. So great choice. Uh, I forgot about the um, memento tattoos. That's a good reference, but they are pretty similar, I think. So shout out Guy Pierce. My night. Uh, first off, it's going to be Chan. Um, really underrated character, I think, in this. And uh, he's in it for probably 10 seconds, but he's kind of his like uh, two main moments, obviously, is first him just like randomly showing up and stealing the matches from uh, Song Kang Ho's character. Just a tiny little moment, but I think that's a lot of the fun. And then, of course, uh, the Chris Evans callback of being like, where are we going to get fire from? <laughs> this little kid stole matches like an hour ago in this movie and uh, we need him and i and like you said at the beginning that's probably just one of my favorite like moments and shots of the entire movie of chan lighting it initially and then making the run and then eventually uh whoever the guy's uh gray is the character name eventually he is the one who kind of picks it up and, and moves forward with it so shout out chan man uh this none of this would have been possible without him uh they literally would all be dead at this current moment so uh definitely an underrated character very deserving of the night love like i said love the fire running scene so yep. sick iconic the recast cody bond. james bond my name's bond james bond the name's bond james bond the name's bond James Bond. Are you really going to recast Chris Evans? I'm, I'm curious to hear what you what you got for us. I am actually, and uh, I think you're going to like it a lot. Off the bat, too, I mean, I think this is a really phenomenal cast, like I've said a bunch of times. The two I do want to replace are Jamie Bell and Chris Evans. I'll actually start out with Jamie Bell, because um, I feel like he's the easy pickings here. And, um, you know, I feel like this kind of role is hard to cast for, you know, kind of a younger, middle-aged white guy. You got a lot of options. It's it's mostly the same. I ended up going with, uh, I, and I feel like this is a recurring guy that I've been talking about, but I went with eyebrows. Uh, Will Poulter, you know, he's great in the Bear season two. So he's on the mind. And um, But Cody, around... think about Will Poulter. And, I mean, we're the Millers. Uh, like, that's, we're the Millers, Will Poulter. Do you think that works? <laughs> like, I can, I considered this as well. And I yeah. also recast uh, that character. So maybe I can give you some of my thoughts. But I don't know about Will Poulter in circa 2014. Now I could see it that he's a little bit more muscular and older, but it is a weird thing because he's supposed to be young. I don't know. Yeah. I kind of want to do a time jump thing too, where I just take him uh, directly from the bear season two and throw him in the film. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Cause a uh, young eyebrows from like the maze runner, he probably would have been terrible. He probably auditioned for this role. If we're being completely honest and just didn't get it. But uh Nowadays, I do like eyebrows a little bit more, so I wanted to throw him, but yeah. I like it. Um, my thoughts for that role, I was thinking maybe Dev Patel could be an interesting option. You know, I, I was going for like the British actors of a little bit younger age group because I think I think it's okay for this to not be a 17-year-old actor because it's like this man's lived on the back of a shitty train for the first 17 years of life. They probably are going to look much older, but they don't need to be four years older than Chris or four years younger than Chris Evans like Jamie Bell is they should be a little bit younger so like a Dev Patel is more of the age range in 2014 um or maybe like a Tom Felton obviously there's the Harry Potter baggage that you're dragging along there but I, I could see it at the very least I don't hate those I think Dev Patel would be a great choice um one of my I think he's definitely an underrated actor Tom Felton eh, I, I could take or leave that but uh 
I think pretty much anybody other than Jamie Bell would be a decent option. So I'm here for it either way. Who'd you want for Chris Evans, Cody? Uh, you're going to love this. My replacement for Chris Evans, it's a guy who I historically on the podcast have um, not been, you know, the most positive on. Uh, you already mentioned Zodiac. I- I'm throwing Jake Gyllenhaal into the mix here. I think uh, what Jake Gyllenhaal does really well is like the serious dark shit. So I think um, I want to see him maybe even take Chris Evans' character a little bit deeper down like this psychopathic route. A little bit, you know, Prisoners, a little bit Nightcrawler. Give me shades of those uh, in here. And I think Gyllenhaal would be great. He, I also just like his performances more when he's like brooding the entire time. So I think he, he'd he be a good fit. Um, you know, fun. I'd rather have fun Chris Evans and dark Jake Gyllenhaal, I think. So, yeah, that, that's my pick. I, I, I'm a fan of it, though. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think Jake Gyllenhaal is an interesting one because it's like not all of the roles, but it'd be cool to see Chris Evans take on some of the things that Gyllenhaal has managed to do in his career rather than being relegated to the MCU in the same way that he was. Uh, Gyllenhaal did get a chance to work with Bong Joon-ho in a very strange and out there role in the movie Okja. So if you guys haven't seen that one, definitely go check that out. Um, He's just a fucking weirdo as he is in many roles, but um, it's a fun one. Also has Tilda Swinton as well. Very climate change, environmentally conscious, animal rights focused in that one. Um, But, you know, I like Jake Gyllenhaal. Maybe not as much as you expected me to, but... (laughs) Oh, you're a fan. Um, and yeah, he's got connections too. I forgot about that. So uh, maybe he auditioned for this as well. Uh, wouldn't be shocked. Uh, but yeah, shout out to Jakey G. He, he also was in the MCU too in a, in a terrible role. So shout out. My last pick, I want to replace Ed Harris, Ed Helms, whoever it may be, throw someone else in. I want to take out an ad in your yearbook. Full page, two words. Good luck. That's not what I had in mind. But I wasn't really sure who to do, so I had a couple options. I was thinking maybe a Christoph Waltz, but I don't want it to be too Nazi. Like, I don't want it to become that. And I think this movie does a really good job of doing the, like, authoritarian class struggle thing without delving into, like, one particular subset of that idea. Like, it kind of pulls from a lot of different areas. So I don't want it to become too much of, like, okay, this is, like, a Nazi allegory thing. So maybe he doesn't work. Also, Ray Fiennes also maybe kind of fits into that same thing. Also, we're going to Harry Potter again with the double hair, uh, Tom Felton, Ray Fiennes. Last option, Willem Dafoe, maybe. He could be pretty compelling in a final scene and also just like really creepy. So uh, I would be interested in seeing that possibly. It's a tough role to play. Yeah, it is tough coming in right at the end and, you know, living up to this menacing character the entire time uh cult leader in a sense but uh i love willem defoe you, you definitely have me bought in on that you could literally put willem defoe in any role in this movie and i would say yes but uh i think that is a great choice um i think he would just be an absolute insane prick um kind of at the beginning of the train so i do like that ray finds that i kind of like that too um christoph waltz is is kind of he always does his own shtick i feel like he'd be a little bit too calm maybe but those are all good options but you definitely won me over with uh with willem all right, Cody, the rating. Do you like me? I know we're both going to be very high. Where do you yeah. place this movie? I mean, for me, this this is a five-star film. I'm not going to lie. I am, I've been highly considering putting this in my letterbox top four, which has been pretty pretty consistent. What does it sense. sit at right now? What, what do we got? So right now I have uh, Arrival and uh, The Prestige, which I think will be there um, until the end of time. 
And then I also have Moonlight and um, The Departed. I was considering taking Moonlight out. I think I'd probably just need to rewatch Moonlight. <laughs> that was an unbelievably good film. But um, I love this movie. I'm going to rate it a 60. I, I have a 66 down in my notes. I think I'm just going to keep that. Um, it's not a perfect film by any means. I don't know if any film really is, but um, I really, really love it. So, yeah, I'm going to go 66 out of 69. I think that's a really great rating. I'm really kind of right there with you with a 65 out of 69. Ooh. So, uh, we're right in conjunction. Uh, this sits for me very highly. I, I mentioned Knives Out being at like 14 on the list of movies I've seen in the last three years, essentially, is what it is. This movie sits at, drum roll please, 19. So not much further down. Um, to me, this is a five-star movie. It's in the similar realms of Prestige and Arrival and Moonlight that we've talked about on the podcast before. Uh, that might be the the closest we've been in a while on a movie uh, where we've been so positive on it too. So shout out. You're, uh, you're creeping up on the ratings on me there. I like it. <laughs> you had a good choice this week, Cody. I appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, my next pick will, will definitely not be as good as this film. So do not uh, get your expectations up. <laughs> well, as the credits are rolling, don't leave just yet because it's time for the post credit scene. What if I told you we were putting a team together? Who's we? Cody, Snowpiercer. What would you add as a post credit scene to the <laughs> Snowpiercer? It's perfect. <laughs> well, on this uh, great episode, I have a couple actually post credit scenes been putting a lot of work into mid credit uh, and a post credit and maybe a post 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 credit uh, well one's kind of serious and one's kind of not so <laughs> depending which direction bong jr now wants to go here my serious one i'll start off with that i guess but um another kind of uh thing that i didn't really remember the first time of watching the film was i mean the entire train gets derailed like all these cars go flying off anyone who was still alive is is probably dead that's kind of tough but kind of going along with the environmental ending. So my scene is we pan down into the snow where, you know, one of these train cars has fallen off. We kind of zoom in on it in the snow and we actually see it's the aquarium car and it's burst open and all of those animals, we get shots in the ocean, they go down and they all swim away and they're all happy and stuff. So kind of just like a fun environmental thing. Like of, a Noah's you know, Ark like, moment almost. Yeah, like it, it kind of gives you that, that kind of fuzzy optimistic feeling of, you know, Earth's going to be okay. These animals are going to, you know, survive and stuff, stuff like that. So kind of along the same lines, I think that would fit at least the tone of the ending. But uh, I like that a lot. Yeah, I'll throw it over you though. What, what you got for me? Um, so the, uh, I want to give hope. I want these, uh, our characters to survive in the end. I want, you know, the, mm -hmm. the girl and the, the child to, to make it out. So they're going to be riding their polar bear that they've tamed <laughs> through the winterous tundra. And they're going to roll up on a cave and they're going to go inside to find refuge. And they're going to keep going deeper and deeper in the cave because they see a light and they're going to follow it all the way down to the underground city where all the good people live and everybody's happy and they work together. And it's a great community of just, you know, people coming together to support each other, and equal opportunities. Wow. Love that. Especially the polar bear. Um, so basically, I mean, this is the matrix like is it, is it called zion or what? <laughs> there is no ai i thought i mean that's that's another you know throw that out there is this that is then this is the crossover to the matrix they show up and they're like what the fuck's up with all this ai down here damn things got crazy when we were riding this train keanu just walks up <laughs> yeah it's like whoa where'd you guys come from <laughs> i like that 
Um, my uh, my second scene is kind of along the lines of that, but a little bit different. So it's kind of a similar start where it's the girl and the little kid walking around at the end, but uh, they actually end up walking. Um, well, they they walk away and somehow they end up in a forest. I don't know. There, there's forests now. It's okay. It's still snowing, but whatever. And um, all of a sudden, they go really far south. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All of a sudden, um, Andy Circus is just standing there uh, in a mocap suit, and his name's Caesar, and uh, it's Planet of the Apes. <laughs> There's your crossover. Be, yeah, I think that'd be a dope crossover. I think that'd just be really like out of left field reveal, of being like, "Oh shit!" Like, uh, you know, this is it's the Planet of the Apes. They always have big twists at the end, so I thought that'd be fun. I like that. Um, you've got to bring in the IP and make things crossover. I will say this is a Lionsgate film, or at least in America, or I don't know. The, the DVD I watched was distributed by Lionsgate. John Wick, there's a Lionsgate picture for you. Hunger Games, there's a Lionsgate property for you. Um, All right. I don't know. Throw some, I don't know. There's possibilities out there. That's post-apocalyptic. Maybe the, the train people then have to go fight in the next quarter quell. Ooh, I like that. Get Katniss yes. on the train. She'd be unstoppable. Someone should have had a bow and arrow or a crossbow. That would have been sick. Sure. Six degrees of Dave. This dumb tree, he is my friend. Mm. And this green horse, he too. Oh, you must stop. I mean, again, Chris Evans and Dave Bautista obviously have been in films together. I, I don't know if you went that direction or not, but <laughs> I, I didn't this week. Nice. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the MCU connection. Um pretty easy obviously uh, you could you could cherry pick a couple films i think they're in together i did not go that direction i actually went uh the ghosted direction uh it's my pick so you know i gotta shout out even more as the episode goes along here and um i genuinely don't think i know uh, of anyone else in ghost other than ana de armas one of my favorite actresses currently working and of course ana de armas is in uh, a heralded modern classic with dave batista blade runner 2049 uh, we got uh, the two degrees, the two degrees of Dave this week. I uh, kept it nice and short, but uh, yeah, love, love me some Ana de Armas. I kind of just want to shout her out. You stole my thing. It's it's the first time it's officially happened. We had the exact oh. same six degrees that we were planning on saying. I was going to go Chris Evans, ghosted Ana de Armas, Blade Runner 2049. I will say Adrian Brody is also in ghosted. There's, you know, there's a potential for a path way nice. there for sure maybe you go uh adrian brody to ashford city to you know scarlett johansson is there's like a hundred people on that so yeah you know thousands who knows anybody who's in the mca yeah <laughs> yeah uh apparently he's also in that poker face tv show so maybe you also say like oh ryan johnson directed that and he also directed glass onion <laughs> if you're really pulling his strings but Ooh. i mean the obvious on a day armis yeah we don't we don't get the director uh you know six degrees much uh we should delve into that more, actually. I like that. Last but not least, Cody, recommendations. What have we been into? I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Cody, I finished season two of The Bear, so let's talk let's about go. it. <laughs> let's talk about it, Gore. Well, Okay, what do you think about uh, just, I mean, the entire series overall? Because you, you obviously watched, you binge watched the first ep- uh, season as well, too, right? Yeah, I did. I mean, I got through the whole thing in about a week, week and a half. Um, I really enjoyed it. You know, I wouldn't place it up there as like my favorite TV show of all time, but I think it was really just like easy watching. It's something that like I kind of just turn to and I, you know, when I'm on my commute to work, I'll watch it. Or, you know, when I'm laying in bed at home, it's something fun to turn on. 
Um, I think the guest starring performances is something that's been talked about a ton and are obviously fantastic. Jamie Lee Curtis, John Bernthal, even, you know, John Mulaney and Sarah Paulson and, you know, the list goes on. have all been fantastic. The final few episodes of season two are really great. I was left wanting a little bit more, but that's the way TV shows often are at their end of their seasons. Like, you know, it's to draw you in and get you to watch the next one when it comes out in two fucking years because of the, you know, the writer's strike. (laughs) True. Probably won't see uh, the next season for a while, but yeah, it it was really hurting me to not talk about kind of the specific actors on last week's episode. So I appreciate you binging it. My God, Jamie Lee Curtis is a good actress, man. I mean, I think that's- Hey, man, she's about to get that Emmy and the Oscar back to back. (laughs) I think that's a shoe in um shane from the walking dead is good um like you said john mulaney that speech that he had in that episode unbelievable bob odenkirk just a complete fucking asshole but he does it uh just really really immaculately um yeah i love season two i mean it's such a flex too i mean obviously like the first season was so beloved that you're able to just be like hey who who wants to be a part of this like let's get you all in here for this one scene of guest stars and it's everyone heavy hitters also um What's her name? Uh, uh, Olivia Coleman. Yeah, Olivia Coleman's in it for one scene. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the the uh, Richie episode, she shows up. Yeah, yeah. Will she's Poulter great. obviously pops up, and he's great. Jillian Jacobs from Community as his, you know, um, baby mama, I guess essentially. Um, she appears in a couple episodes. She's great. I mean, it's it's awesome. Unbelievable casting, and um, yeah, the Richie episode, I I really really love as well. I think. Either that or obviously the, the Christmas episode is just an entirely different animal. But I think the Richie episode is probably my, my favorite of the years. So uh, that's dope, though. Love the bear. Um, I agree. I don't think it's one of the best shows of all time. I think maybe it's a little overhyped at the at the moment from everybody. But it's still last fun. week. You said you thought there were like four of your favorite episodes ever. <laughs> it is really season two is really fucking good. Um, I want to ask you, too, because there's been a lot of hate on uh, the Claire character. What are your uh, thoughts on their relationship? I thought it was just kind of dumb. It was really strange the way, like the drama that they tried to add between Claire and uh, Ayo Beery's character, Sydney. Um, that was just kind of weirdly forced in. Obviously, it's like Carmi's kind of stunted and he's never had any like real adult relationship in his life, but it just feels really strange. Do you think they bring her back? Like, are they like going to be the end game for this show? Like, is that what's destined or do we just kind of see a more focus on the restaurant moving forward she was technically just a guest star i think on season two she wasn't you know main cast honestly i don't think she'll be back that much i think um and maybe this is because i'm on tiktok too much but i i think um uh oh what you said you said io and it threw me off uh sydney and um carmy i I think they actually will end up together you think think that's the yeah, yeah, I mean, there's, I don't know. It'll we'll be see. interesting, but who cares regardless? I don't but, really uh, want that to happen. <laughs> tell me your other recs. What else have you been into? Feel I did. I, I will say, I thought they were maybe hinting at that in the finale, but I, I got, I hope that's not, that's. I think that's, that's 100% where it's gone. So we're going to see it. <laughs> I got a lot of work to do. <laughs> I'll give them that. Uh, other things I've been into. Not a ton, but I will shout out. I did go see Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Mm-hmm. Um, I've told you this already, but I really did not like it. <laughs> I was uh, quite low on the ending in particular. I think the rest of it is just like fine fun. It's not a Spielberg movie, but it's you know a good imitation of one. 
but man, I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but just the, the way they handle the ending of the movie, I, I really fucking despised. And it's not even because of like the big set piece final act thing that they do. Like, I don't even care about that. It's just like this particular choice that they made um, that I was really not a fan of. And then a choice that they made on top of that. But Phoebe Waller-Bridge is fantastic. She's great. I love her. Um, she's the only good thing Lucasfilm has done recently, probably um, beyond The Last Jedi and um yeah not great i also saw elemental which is just it's an okay movie it's fine it's it's trying to like pack a lot of ideas into a story that's really like doing six different things at the same time and they were really stuck on this whole like you know elements world uh but in the end it's not super successful um yeah, I also watched Casino on 35 millimeter in theaters with Mina, and it, it is a three-hour movie. It's pretty long, but it's a solid Scorsese flick. It's Robert De Niro killing it, wearing fantastic suits, being just this kind of weirdo that's obsessed with this life of the casino and wanting to run it and to have all this power. And then you've got Joe Pesci being the insane psycho killer that he is in so many of Scorsese movies like Goodfellas, where he's a little bit on edge and you're not sure if he's, you know, with you or against you. And he's, you know, being brash and killing and he's the, you know, at the end, the reason maybe everything falls apart. Um, I would really recommend the casino because it's, I mean, the take on Las Vegas is a, is a different world for Scorsese to play in that you don't get to see, um, in his other films. And it's just another example of organized crime, you know, whether it's the white collar stuff and Wolf of Wall Street or the, you know, true East Coast mafia of Goodfellas. It's even more fun to see it in, in Las Vegas. Yeah. That was pretty dope. You were, uh, you saw it on the big screen too. So that's cool. Yeah. I went to this, um, it's called this, it's called the Roxy and it's like a hotel and they also have a theater there. They're doing a series of, uh, las vegas based films and this was the first one um so yep. it, was, it was really interesting that is really cool shout out um and yeah pesci's an animal i love that guy so <laughs> shout out to him as well sharon uh, stone is also fantastic as well in the film um probably mm -hmm. one of the better female roles in a movie and it's really tough because like she plays a complete psychopath and she's like not a good person whatsoever but like she has a lot of interesting character development. She has a ton of screen time. She's there a ton. Sharon Stone is really impressive. Um, I will say it is important to note the character Robert De Niro plays was like heavily involved in the making of the film. So like his presentation is interesting because it's like, I feel like this guy's way worse of a person than he appears. Um, yeah. It is weird to me that the like affection that people have for like characters like Jordan Belford or even like Patrick Bateman of like this weird masculine uh, obsession idealization of these characters hasn't come in the same way for like a character like Ace Rothenstein Casino because he's got the same like macho energy and like fun but he's also not like a terrible terrible person like it's it's less of a red flag if you maybe were like hey I, I like Ace Rothenstein <laughs> he's still not great but his presentation in this movie would make more sense to me so hey film bros maybe get it together stop going for the murderer and the <laughs> the wife feeder this guy at least was nice to his kid <laughs> this is your favorite film bro basically <laughs> yeah I, i'll say that he's the one that's like okay maybe you could like this guy yes he does Fair crimes enough. but he's okay ish not that bad yeah <laughs> i like that a lot <laughs> any other ones? that's all i got man what else have you been into i did i have not uh been going through a ton um i've checked out a, a couple small things for some reason, and these are just completely random, so, you know, whatever. 
but I checked out Bumblebee because I'd never seen that before. Um, hey, hey, ready for that Rise of the Beast release on streaming? Yeah, that, that was kind of the only reason I did watch it. So I was like, I guess I'll check out that other one. Uh, I heard Pete Davidson was was in it from you, so that that interested me. But um, I thought it was okay. I mean, Haley Steinfeld, she's uh, she's better in in Bumblebee than she was in uh, Ender's Game, so that's saying something. But uh, yeah, it's like a good soundtrack. John Cena's in it for a little bit, and he's all right. So it wasn't the worst thing. It was it was probably I don't know. It's probably the second best Transformers movie that I've seen. So that's not saying much. Dark of the Moon but, underrated. Come on. God, no, I hate that movie. I think um, the Dark of the Moon trailer had a very significant impact on me, just as a person. Really? Yeah. But well, we'll get into that at a later. You might have to do that movie because <laughs> uh, that is also. Um, Jason Webb, my brother, his he always said when we were growing up that was his favorite movie of all time. So that tells you about his taste. Also, he snaked us on the pod, so nobody likes that guy. <laughs> but um, he's definitely not listening. But anyways, uh, the other main thing I checked out too, I watched um, Batman v Superman: The Ultimate Edition. Um, don't know why. Kind of just yeah, ended up watching that. Well, the main reason why was uh, I, I set myself up because I still haven't seen the Snyder Cut and I want to watch that. But um. The ultimate edition of Batman's Beezer Man just adds like a half hour of just like character development stuff. It's okay. I, I still don't really like Batman v Superman as a movie. Um, I mean, it takes Mofo like two and a half hours to get to a fight and they fight for like 10 minutes. So also Jesse Eisenberg is god awful. So uh, yeah, not a fan. I wouldn't check it out. Not worth your time. Also too, like I said, I, I did start the Snyder Cut. I mean, for God's sakes, it's like five hours long. So <laughs> I've got around an hour and a half left. Uh, they're just about to bring Superman back, so I guess I'm excited for that. That's crazy. I mean, that's crazy how long it takes for that to happen. Yeah, it's brutal. But um, like the first, like all the extra kind of like cyborg uh, character development, I think that actually is kind of interesting. Um, that is the one like thing that we did truly lose yeah. in the fucking Joss Whedon of it all. And I, I did say Josh. Ray Fisher. <laughs> Josh. Yeah, shout out Josh. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not necessary. Obviously, it's just like Zack Snyder doing Zack Snyder. Also, there's really not that much action, and that's the same thing for Batman. What if you took out a lot of the slow-mo? How much shorter of a movie would it be? <laughs> I would say at least cuts out 45 minutes, I would say, easily. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like for a Zack Snyder film, uh, in both of these, the Snyder Cut and Batman v Superman, there's really not that much action, and it's a, it's a superhero movie, so... I don't know. I'm just bored half the time when like Lois Lane is, you know, doing something for some reason with Martian Manhunter. I don't particularly care, but um, it is what it is. I'll, I'll have my full report on our ne- next episode. Hopefully I'll have it finished up by then, but that's the gist of everything. I, pretty much. I just wanted to talk about the bear in Rex for this episode. So we accomplished that. So I'm pretty happy. Go check out the bear. If you haven't seen it, obviously <laughs> we talked about all of season two, but definitely go watch it. You're missing out um and uh if you're in chicago go eat at the beef man go have a sandwich true next time i'm in chicago uh you'll catch me there so shut up love it all right thank you guys for listening this has been a fun one we'll catch you in the next episode a lot of exciting movies coming out in the next couple weeks really looking forward to it intent stay captain peace peace what you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things i have ever heard at no point in your rambling, incoherent response, were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought? Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it.